Hey guys, have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I saw a video he made and I was shocked. He is in his 80s, still kicking butt, working out, staying active. He looks like he's got more energy, can work out longer, even has plenty of that energy left over for his grandkids, and he did this by making one change. He said that he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife even started doing this thing too. She's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger, her body looks leaner, has energy all day, and Chuck's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their health. Staying active is important. Moving around keeps you feeling good. Making sure that you take care of your gut health, your digestion, just overall, is also very important. Right now, you can go to mymorningkick.com slash Fightful. Watch Chuck's video right now. That's mymorningkick.com slash Fightful. Check out what Chuck Norris has to say. What's got him feeling so good these days? He explains everything, and you won't believe how simple it is. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for this it. week's... Are, I'm trying to start a podcast. You want to fucking jump in like you run the show. You're he and ask fucking questions. It says do you have it. This asshole's recording. Yeah, I got it. That's what it asked me. You Forever. Lars, he hosts four shows and he thinks he runs a whole thing when he comes on for 10 minutes with Ace. No, you and Ace, you intro the show. Welcome to the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. I am your host <laughs> for 10 minutes with Ace. <laughs> Lars Fredrickson, Dennis Farrell. Farrell. I'm okay with that. Farrell? Yeah, okay. Farrell? Farrell. Farrell, like a cat? Like, a like cat Mike Farrell from uh, MASH, yes. Is that, is that radar? No. That? Ace, Ace, 10 minutes with Ace. You know, you know, as I know, the day that we're recording this, bud, and I, yeah. and, I and it's kind of a somber moment because a true legend has passed. Indeed, and his name his name was Terry Funk. So by the cha- by the time that people out in the world are going to hear us talking about him, it happens to be the day because we're, rec- we're you know we record different days as most people do know. But you know Terry Funk, it's like I have a story, and I know that you probably have one or two. I've so I few, thought yeah. maybe, maybe maybe we could kick it off and just you know do like a little bit of a remembrance for him. Oh hell yeah! If you see behind me, I found a, a little old wrestling wrap up. It was an actual program. That I got, I got. You can't see above there. I'll do it. There it is. I just got some some funk memorabilia. Uh, you know where I come from, and when I started, it was still more old school, where you didn't take pictures with the guys. And we have been debunking that for years now. Where I have been around Terry so many times because he would come up working for Harley Harley Race. For those that don't know that, um, I worked for Harley Race for many years, wrestling shows, and Terry came up. Holy cow, so many times, and I never once got a picture with him because you just didn't do that. Um, 
every time he met you, he knew you. Hey, great to see you, kid. Vicky's Vicky's here. You know that? I'm like, great, Vicky's here. Like <laughs> the first time I fucking met him. But he he brings you in. He was that type of a guy that he acted like he knew you. You know what I mean? And Piper, I feel, is the same way. Um, same time, every time I've been around, I've been around Piper just a couple of times, and he acted like he like he was just the friendliest person in the world. But Terry was amazing. Just advice on the business. Uh, my one funny story that I have is, uh, uh, someone I was dating at the time when I was working for Harley, they made me sit at the gimmick table, even as a heel. And that's just what they did at Harley shows is his, uh, his wife, BJ, uh, rest in peace. She was there and she'd make us all sit there. And <laughs> I'm sitting there and I look down and it was one of the first times I've been, this happens to be all the time. One of the first times I've been around a legend and I'm like, I got to get something from them. You know what I mean? And he's selling his t-shirts. And I looked at the person I was dating. I said, Hey, you got a couple bucks on you? She's like, yeah. I'm like, will you go down to Terry Funk and just buy a t-shirt? I said, I think they're like 15 bucks. Just grab one for me. And it's a great one. Double cross ranch. It's him on the front yeah. caricature and on the back, it's his chaps, but his ass is hanging out. It's phenomenal. <laughs> so I'm doing this all kayfabe, right? Please. Thank you. And Because I'm at the opposite end of the, this long table. All of a sudden I hear, Ace, you want him to sign it? And I'm like, I look over and I'm so defeated. And he goes, oh, it's for Ace. Oh, 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 here. Here, signs it. Charged me only 10 bucks. To the dismay of his wife, Vicky, who was with him because he knocked five bucks off the price of the fucking shirt. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like a fucking mark going, oh. <laughs> but he was great. Well, well you know, I mean, to, 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 it, like you said, it's like you kind of came up in the days when you just didn't go up and take photos. You didn't ask for autographs. I mean, you know, but then again, here's Terry Funk, who's so gracious with you in, the, in, in a certain sense. Um, do you feel like it's, it's, it's a little less common to be like that these days, as far as like going up to your heroes and getting an autograph or a picture? Um, not as you mean less common to not do that? No, to do that. Excuse me. Not to, to not do that. Yes. Yes. I think it's less common not to do that. Nowadays, people are always asking for pictures. Um, people want pictures with me for some reason every now and then, you know, it just it it it's it's a different world. I think it's because of social media, because everyone wants to show off what they're doing, right, or right, just right. that they were there, or the memory. Honestly, it, to me, it boils down to the memory. I mean, we have pictures, you know, and you and a friend of ours, Mr. Brooks. Like, I don't hang, we don't hang out to take pictures, but if a picture erupts, that's what it is, you know. Um, well, but we I know where that more... picture should erupt, and that should picture should erupt in front of the donut shop after we go to Starbucks, <laughs> and we're all there on the same day. That's when that <sighs> picture should erupt. I mean, you <sighs> know how many, how many years of photos I have of us in that same place? That's phenomenal. Like, we missed this year, didn't we? I yeah. know, I know, we did, we did, we did. I'm going to be out there at the end of the month, though. So hopefully you'll come. Oh, probably not. Probably um, not. Okay. Anyway, back to Terry Funk. But uh, I mean, I. The funny thing is I picked this shirt today not I didn't pick this not knowing what was what happened. I picked this at like ten AM today. Ten or eleven. Whenever Dennis and I texted and we said Lars is not gonna wear the same color as us because he he's he's you know, he, he's wearing an inferior football team. 
Oh so my God. I, I went to grab a red shirt and I have minimal uh, red shirts. I have a minimal supply of red shirts. Like, I don't even know. I think I got a Talway shirt in there, but I picked this Terry Funk one. I was like, oh, I'll give Funker some love. And uh, uh, as soon as I heard this, it just fucking, it crushed me. Like, I haven't even processed it. I've been running since I heard it. I mean, we could do a show on on the funk, you know, and sure. unfortunately we only have 10 minutes of it with Ace, you know. Um, Dennis, you got anything to add? You know, I met him once when I was a young kid. It was in Atlanta, Georgia, after a indie show, and he was a uh, little restaurant, only thing open late at night, and he's sitting there alone, and uh, me and my family go, and I'm like – it's Terry Funk. And my dad's like, don't go bother him. He doesn't want to be bothered. And, you know, being a little wrestling fan kid, I'm like, I'm going to go over there. And I walk over, I tap him on the shoulder. I'm like, Mr. Funk, can I, you know, have your autograph? He's like, sure, boy, come here. And he pulls the chair out. We talk for like 15 minutes. His food's getting cold. He's like, what'd you like about the show? And, you know, I'm just like, you're Terry Funk. He's like, don't worry about it. I know. And I, I will always remember how smooth and, and how much I truly believed that he loved every time someone came up and just knew who he was. Now, that's just me assuming, maybe even projecting, but the stories you hear about how he would just stop doing what he's doing to talk to anybody. And that's, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, you and I, Ace, you and I, Lars, about the lost art of wrestlers treating fans with respect he might have been the gold standard of doing that well Indeed. i'll definitely i definitely tell you i you know i've met him well rode on a plane with him once from Ooh. philadelphia to texas but i we were it was uh me middle seat terry funk and then the one time where i did have an interaction with him was at wrestlemania i was with our friend phil when he was still working up north and uh, I think it was the WrestleMania in Florida um, at the, at the, where the Dolphins play. And yeah. on the porch of the hotel, there sat Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, and Terry Funk all at one table. I went outside because it was kind of hot and I just wanted to kind of get away from the, the thing. And Dusty Rhodes invited me into the conversation. And I thought that was really, really cool. You know what I mean? Wow. So, and I just, we just, I, I mostly listened. You know, they, they, I told me, you know, we talked about me being a musician and Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk. They were telling, and Harley were telling me what kind of music they like. All was country, obviously. But, um, you know, and we could, could kind of bond over Johnny Cash or the, you know, the Million Dollar Quartet or whatever, some of the, whatever, anyways. But uh, super humble, super nice guys, you know what I mean? Uh, and that was my one sort of, uh, uh, what would you say, experience with, with the Funkster himself. Let, let me ask you guys this. Of course, Ric Flair, but let's throw him out of this conversation. Terry Funk's gone. Who is like the next guy now that is from that era that's still alive, that's royalty, that we need to go, hey, let's appreciate this guy more before he's gone? Because I don't feel like we appreciated Terry Funk enough as yeah. what he did until now. Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen. Yes. Yes. Yes, I, indeed. I agree. God damn, Stan Hansen was Fucking so phenomenal. So maybe yeah. now let's try to give Stan Hansen that love we should have gave Terry Funk because, you know, now that Funk's gone and you think about it, 
I mean, we should have been showering him with flowers the last 15 years. And it doesn't seem like he got. Well, I think, I think wrestlers were, I don't. And I think most people, if his name was mentioned, you know what I mean? I think there was two different opinions about him and maybe Ace, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, once he went to ECW and started to do what he was doing over in Japan, which was obviously sort of now the norm and the standard of what pro wrestling is today, you know, him and obviously Cactus, you know, created a whole sort of thing, but, um, or at least emphasized uh, and, and, and broke through and, and, and created more with, with, you know, deathmatch wrestling, garbage wrestling, however you want to call it. But I, I feel like maybe some people looked at him a little differently when he does, started doing that stuff or going to any indies or wrestling with ECW. Um, I don't, you know, I think some people might have thought that the tarnish kind of got, uh, or he got a little tarnished by doing that. I don't honestly feel that way. Um, well, I he, don't either. I'm just saying I I did read stuff at the time. Did you? Okay. I, 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 so I started in 91. So I'm a couple of years removed basically from this wrestling wrap up where he took a fucking swing at the guardrail that I was standing at. And I swore to God, he'd take my head off. <laughs> like the way I did, I was like, Holy, I think this guy's going to fucking hit me. And then I start in 91. And as the years go on and then ECW comes about what 94 and then all that, like he was just the quintessential like guy to reinvent himself. Like, so I'd never seen any other Terry Funk except probably more so I, I a cup of coffee at WWF. He goes home because of the sick horse. He goes to WCW with Flair. Like I had never seen the empty arena match or Waller. This is all stuff I catch up on years later with YouTube and tape trading. So the people that watched him all through the years, like the way he evolves, you know. Like what did he, he said he did like a thousand sit-ups a day when he was in WCW, which he's 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 in immaculate condition. Um, then the ECW run where it's just a different person. He adds a moonsault mm -hmm. for the repertoire. Mm -hmm. Then you know I talked to like like Terry Taylor's like I hired him in WCW. We were gonna have hardcore guys. So I mean, they're just throwing money. Let's bring not even a factor in that he's fifty six freaking years right. old. Fuck, it's Terry Funk. Bring him. You know how much longer he kept going till he couldn't. You know, um, you know, he was told his knees are bone on bone. You should not be walking comfortably. Like, I never read that because I always just had my own opinion. I never read an opinion on Terry Funk, except that everyone that I worked with and worked around over the years just thought the world of him, you know. And the way, the many times that I saw him at Harley's up until the last time I saw him at Harley's was back. We got a poster over here that he's on it, I'm on it, and Bobby Eaton are on it, and Harley. I think that was 2014. Um, like he was just, he was just great sound mind and body. Like that's a time period right before Harley's mind started going where, you know, he was having trouble with the memory and stuff, but funk was always, you know, just, you know, he loved our guy, Phil. He loved him to death. Mm -hmm. He loved the guys that pioneered that, you know, um, that, that kept going and pulling through like a wrestler's a wrestler you know right, right and right. when they're of that ilk they're 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 cut from the same cloth and you know it's nice to hear that um what's oh i had a great story you were talking about meeting him both of you guys meeting him a cauliflower alley in 2005 i wanted to buy jack briscoe's book jack briscoe's book didn't make it for some fucking reason and when i look in the room of people signing there's terry funk and i go why wouldn't i buy terry funk's book he's sitting right there and I walk over, I go, Mr. Funk, I'm like, do you mind if I buy a book? 
And he goes, he looks at me up and down. He goes, you're a worker, aren't you? And I said, I am. <laughs> and he goes, who do you work for? And I said, I work for Harley. And which, funny enough, I would see him over the next couple of years because he hadn't started coming in for Harley yet. He'd start coming in. Um, so he signed in the book for me. And I'm like, sure, put your autograph in there. And over in the corner is Ox Baker. There's a camera on him. And Ox Baker's like, ah, nah, 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 like he's loud as fuck. And out of nowhere, Terry Funk goes, I wish he'd just shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was just laughing my ass off. Thank you, Mr. Funk. Great to meet you. So when I say he thought he met me, he probably, you know, he remembers I had that face, you know. But, like, always just just to fucking crack up and just – but a guy that – I don't – if you don't respect that guy – like I don't know who you are in wrestling. Like I don't I don't know what your problem is. And and talking about who guy who bled, he didn't bleed every week. He didn't, ECW didn't run every week. He didn't bleed every week. He didn't bleed. He bled when it meant money. It made he, sense bled. It it, sense. he bled when it made sense. He went hardcore. Sure, he did, but he made his hardcore make some sense. You know, um, just and just just a pioneer in so many different his his style of work. I love to watch Dory Funk and Jack Briscoe work, they are so smooth at what they do. Now, I don't know if I could sit for 45 minutes and watch anybody, but I will fast forward and catch up to the good spots. Um, but Terry was just, he'd come in and make everything something, you know? Watching him and Harley work with the shit they do, it's just, it's just, go out of your way. If, if y- y'all haven't watched it, whoever's listening to this, if you haven't watched some older Terry Funk, look up some him and Harley, you know, Terry and Harley Race, look up Terry from his all Japan days and back then yeah. uh, the Jerry Lawler uh, empty arena match, those types of things. The empty arena match is phenomenal. My eye, my eye. Oh shit. So good. Well, we definitely went longer than 10 minutes with ACE this week. And uh, we definitely appreciate you stopping by talking about Terry Funk and a few weeks. We'll have you back on and talk a little bit more happier wrestling stuff. Hope so. Rest in peace, Terry Funk. We love you. We are back. It's time for another golden episode of the Wrestling Perspective 387 with MLW champion Alex Kane. Alex, listen, man, I'm going to tell you when the opportunity arose to have you on, oh, Oh, no, you fucking do it, Lars. You know how many guys we have on there are champions that don't bring their belts on? You know what? You That's wild to me. So, let me just tell you how Alex has already come correct with this whole thing. First off, he shows up with his death metal, you know, Alex Kane in the background. And then as you're introducing him, he throws the 10 pounds of gold. And I will call it 10 pounds of gold over his, sho- over his shoulder to kind of say, I'm here. So I, 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 I apologize, Dennis. But that was, that was smooth. Thank you. I- Thank you. I, I Lars, maybe one other person, but we had to beg them to go get their belt. That's crazy. Uh, I think it was Josh. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. We, we'll have to go back through, but yeah, you yeah. all right now, favorite guest, golden episode. All right, I'm gonna kiss your butt here for a second and tell Please you do. that uh, growing up, Ron Simmons was always one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. You and I kind of have a Georgia connection. I grew up in Ellenwood, Georgia. Uh, Clayton County area. I don't know if you're familiar with that. A little bit. Uh, So 
this is I'm not sure how to ask this question, but I have a daughter who's LBGQ. And uh, she's in high school. I've been out of high school for 20 years. So I don't know. Back in my day, if you were different, like I was a wrestling nerd, we got picked on, bullied, pushed around. I, I, She seems to be adjusting well. But you, uh, being LGB, black in the South, and, and in into wrestling, mm-hmm. how did you not let all that cultural – I don't know, bullying or being an outcast push you out into some other trage- trajectory in life? Um, because professional wrestling was literally like the only thing I wanted to do in life. Like um, like before I discovered it, like I wanted to be a police officer and maybe go to the military. But once I saw it, like professional wrestling was it. Like I would tell literally anybody whether I got bullied for it or not. I told everybody that I knew that would listen to me that I was going to be a professional wrestler. Um, so, and then also like my family was pretty supportive about it. The friends that I have were pretty supportive about it. They all thought it was cool. Like even growing up, like my like wrestling coach was supportive of it, like football coaches and stuff like that. So like I had a, I, amongst the, all the bullies and stuff like that, like I had a pretty good support system as far as like following my dream. When you first saw professional wrestling and you kind of knew like, hey, this is something I wanted to do. What were you watching? Who was who were the guys that or gals that were inspiring you to kind of get in the ring and lace up the boots? Um, I saw Stone Cold's Demolition. Um, uh, I think I was like six or seven. Um, and it was can't it's, it's fuzzy because it's been a long time. But I believe it was um, going up, building up to his match with undertaker at bad blood it was a hell in the cell mm. match um i think it was i think it was kane's debut um oh okay so like that was the first time i saw it and like stone cold steve austin if you're going to get an introduction to professional wrestling yeah i feel like that would probably be the best introduction because he's a rebel he beat the crap out of his boss he's swearing he's drinking beer like he's doing everything that you would want to do if you were an adult but you can't i mean i wasn't an adult but still he made he made being an adult look cool it's not by the way you're still young being an adult is not cool so don't don't rush into it i'm gonna tell you now from one adult to another almost um i i will say this you i'm i'm looking over the timeline of your career in the grand scheme of being a champion, you're still very new into the industry. Yeah. Are you still young enough where you don't quite succumb to the pressures of being like a champion or feel that pressure of being maybe a 22, 23 year vet in the industry would feel of this might be my last chance. I got to make carrying this belt, you know, uh, my next paycheck down the line kind of feeling. No, I don't really feel that kind of pressure. I kind of just try to take things one day at a time. Like when I was national open weight champion, um, I didn't I didn't have a super long reign, but I mean it was still fun to have. Um, and like when Court told me like, okay, hey, you're gonna drop the belt this to Davy Richards, I was like, cool, all right, cool. What do you need me to do? Um, and I know a lot of guys get like, they I guess they get so attached to it um that when it's time to you know pass that torch you know they completely lose their minds and like i don't want to be that my wife won't let me be that so 
Um, I just I just try to keep a level head, take it uh, take it one day at a time, and just you know enjoy it and have fun with it. I mean, whether regardless of however long I hold it, um, and when I finally do give it up, no one can take away from me that I was a black world champion. Do you think that Hammerstone? I mean, obviously you beat him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the bodybuilding and the the unfocused maybe that he's he's had in the last I don't know say six months? Mm-hmm. Do you think that was that played part in in you taking advantage of the situation and winning that belt? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Um, I I could tell like in some of the promos like leading up for on uh, MLW Fusion, like I could tell like he is worried. Um, he doesn't know if he's actually going to be able to, you know, pull uh, pull it off. Um, he definitely didn't look as comfortable and as confident as nor- as he normally is. And then I think he had, like, lost a bunch of weight or something like that um, because, like, you know, being heavier definitely affects your cardio in the ring. So I think that also played a part. When did it start – when did you start seeing the light of – Holy cow, there's there's this opportunity that I might actually have a shot at being a champion. And can you take us a little bit through those steps of and and maybe kind of in your life where you kind of set yourself up to thinking, all right, I need to complete task A, B, and C in order to put me into the this, this division? Um, I think I got I I'm gonna answer this question the way I think you're asking it. Um, I think the I'm okay with the, that. The moment, <laughs> the moment that I kind of realized that you know I could I was gonna be a problem in a good way um, was I wrestled um, this guy named O'Shea Edwards who's a member of the Blue May Fight Club now, um, but this match was like a year to a, a year before I signed uh, with MLW and like that was kind of like a coming out party for me. Like in that match, I realized, okay, like I'm going to be a problem. Even he told me you're going to be a problem. Um, So I think at that point, and then just getting like, like good matches, like leading up to that and like kind of like finding myself, especially in MLW, because the first, the beginning of it was kind of rough. It was definitely kind of rough. But as I got more comfortable with myself and like really like found a character, um, I definitely knew like, like, Oh, I can definitely be a world champion one day. Um, and then especially with like how like the Bumai Fight Club has gotten over and it's happened organically. Um, and then also like kind of being like a tweener a little bit, which is fun. Like I definitely like have some magic on my hands. Um, well, there's a lot of supremely really good talent in MLW right now. And I think that with all that, that all the wrestling that's out there, and all the opportunity that's out there for wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering why you felt more at home there than anywhere else. Because well, I know you so, had opportunities. Um, so in so before I signed MLW, like honestly, no one was like really like in my emails or whatever. Nobody was like barking up my tree or whatever. So like when MLW came to me, um, I had I mean, like things were going well in the independence, but like nothing like really, really big was happening for me. Um, so when they reached out, like my in my mindset, it was I have nothing to lose here. If it works out, because I didn't know if it, whether it was going to work out or not. Like, yes, my style fits into how MLW's presentation is and, you know, my personality and all that. 
but like I didn't know that it was gonna work out. I just you know took that leap um, because it was either it wasn't gonna hurt me, it wasn't gonna break my career or anything like that. Um, thankfully, it worked out. Thankfully, it worked out. But um, I, yeah, like I just I was just like let's let's do this. Like everybody wants to be signed somewhere. Everybody wants to be invested in uh, whatever. These guys came to me, um, so like let me just let me just take this dive right quick. Where are you in the evolution of your character? Uh, you know, from start to finish, are you kind of in the middle? Are you at the end of being the, you know, final example of who you want to be? No, I'm definitely in the middle. Um, there's still, there's still things I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Um, there's still like layers I'm trying to add to my character. Um, Cause like, I want to be as well-rounded as possible. Um, and I don't think that you, I don't think that you ever really get to a final form of a character. Um, it's always constantly evolving. Just, just depends on the context in which you're put in. Where are you drawing inspiration to find for your character? Um, so initially I was drawing inspiration from Chad Johnson, Terrell Owens, Brian Dawkins, um, Clubber Lang, uh, from, uh, Rocky three. Um, a little bit of Apollo Creed. Um, who else? I tried, I, I mean, as far as like moves and stuff like that, like Shelton Benjamin, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, um, Randy Orton a little bit, Triple H is in there, Steve Austin's in there, The Rock is in there. Um, so I try to like draw a little bit from everything. Um, and then like in some of the movies that I watch, like I, I like John Wick's character. So like, I'm sure like, as I as I complete watch watching that series, like I'm sure there's something in there that I that I'll find and that I can apply to myself. So I'm looking at dipping in all different kinds of media. Well, I actually have a friend who's very successful that's never seen any of the Rocky movies. I digress. <laughs> uh, you know, I I do want to say you're still fresh as a champion maybe what a month now or so give or take i believe somewhere in july you won it um are there any doors or opportunities that are starting to open for you that were not there before that you go fuck yeah now you respect me um definitely like international bookings are starting to open up it's not a whole lot but like it's more than it was before um, and then just some like companies in the States are actually more willing to talk to me now than they were before. Um, um, it's just a lot of the times it's like, oh, they, I guess some, I guess some of these companies like expect you to be like really cheap or something like that. So like money is always an issue <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. But like doors are definitely opening for me. I mean, I'm here, I'm here with y'all. Well, you were going to be here anyways, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> It was just a matter of time. Everybody does this podcast. It's like once you get into a ring, you're automatically obligated to come in on the that's show. Not, that's not that that is definitely not true, um, <laughs> because uh, we try to always have people on the show that represent the current face of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly, you know, I feel like we bring the top talent here, you know, because I feel like the human interest story and the path to that goal. You know, I mean, whether or not they were on that on that path from the get go by purpose or something, you know, that they felt that they necessarily had to do. Otherwise, they fell into it. And that's one of the things I want to steal a question from one of our old uh, co-hosts. 
Um, and he used to ask, uh, did you know that you were getting the belt? How did they tell you? How did they, you know, how did he come in and basically said, okay, you're, you're going over tonight. You're going to get the belt. When did they let you um, know that this was going to happen? Fort told me like two months, uh, no, a few months prior, a few months before battle riot is when he told me. Um, and he had, he had also said that this has been his plan the entire time. It's just trying to see like whether you're going to live up to, you know, live up, um, live up to the expectation or if you're going to crumble under it. And since I continuously kept delivering on everything, like he, he gained like more and more like confidence and faith in me. Um, so yeah, he told me like a few months before battle ride. Cause that's why I went in at number one. Well, let me ask you this. So you're, you're, you have this information for a couple of months here. I mean, are you adding extra pressure to you? Do you, I mean, cause it's the, the goal is there. It's like laid out for you. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's now it's on you if you're going to attain that. So what's going through your mind for a couple of months? Are you refocused? Is this always right there in the front? Or is it something that you tuck in the back and kind of go, I'm just going to continue what I'm doing? I'm just, I just kind of tried to continue what I was doing. I tried to step it up in the gym. Well, not just try to, I did step it up in the gym, um, cardio wise, um, adding uh, like offense to my arsenal that isn't the same stuff that I was doing before. Um, I just tried to like, not rebuild myself, but like, um, not even reinvent myself, just like upgrade myself um, going into, uh, you know, both the battle ride and the world title match. Um, Cause I wanted to present, I wanted to present something different um, than what was being presented before I got both of those opportunities. How do you plan? Because we all know as quick as you get a vote, you can easily lose it. How do you plan personally to elevate that belt, elevate yourself? Because look, uh, I'm, I don't want to, you know, spoiler anybody, you're probably not going to end your career in MLW. It's just how it happens, right? We all move on. Mm -hmm. We we evolve, we grow, and we cycle out. And in the back of your mind, you have to go, all right, I'm a champion. I add this to my resume. Here's what my highlight reel as a champion is going to look like. What is your game plan going forward? Um, definitely, to, you know, keep having more compelling matches, uh, having more compelling segments. Um, that's probably, those two are the, probably the things that I focus on the most. Um, I, I guess, hate to name drop or mention another company or whatever, but they have a certain individual with long hair from Samoa. Um, uh, he's definitely an inspiration for me because of how he's changed the game, uh, for, you know, the people under him. Um, so like, I look to like some of the stuff that he's even done. Like being the head, being the uh, the leader of the Bumai Fight Club. Like, I feel like there's I can't tell that those exact same stories or whatever because they're family, but like I can you know take take and um, like take pieces and stuff and inspiration from just that there um, to you know apply to myself and to you know raise the bar. Um, I know again whatever the needle mover, like that's really, that's really the thing that like, um, that's in my mind, moving the needle and like making an impact. Like the, the rain doesn't necessarily need to be 
800 days it would be dope but it doesn't need to be 800 days but like i just want to make an impact um on you know mlw i mean i've already made an impact on mlw but i want to make an impact on the industry so this is just this is not the the, the ceiling this is this is something that you're what you wanting to break through basically yes yeah all right with that being said then you know you're, you're obviously very young um you know, you remind me a lot, your attitude and the way that you're talking, you know, of guys who are now in their 30s and in late 30s um, or, or world champions and things like that, because they made a decision to give it, give the business wholeheartedly everything. You know, they're not there just to, just to have a Twitch channel and do all this other stuff and to sort of, you know, the main focus is always that in-ring persona, the in-ring wrestling and telling the story in the ring. How important would now would you say that you're more in the line of a guy that's 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 100% pro wrestler, or are you just kind of a guy that's in the business just to kind of get likes and 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 to to boost other things over here on the side? I'm definitely 100% a professional wrestler. Like, I, I like, I like, I don't, like, I don't have a Twitch channel or anything like that. Like, the most thing I have is maybe a TikTok or whatever, where you know. I'm being well, funny, you're young. But... You can, you know. Yeah, yeah. A 51 year old should not have a fucking TikTok. <laughs> um, but like, even on there, like, it's still majority wrestling content from me. Um, you know, I try to participate in uh, what they call the Wrestle Talk community. There's like millions of wrestling fans on there. You know, I interact with them because a lot of professional wrestlers don't do that stuff or whatever for whatever reason. Um, so like I'm trying to grow as as a professional wrestler, but in also all of these other spheres, because those also open doors in wrestling for me, new bookings, like somebody could be like, yo, I know this guy, Alex Kane or whatever. At, I might tell the booker at his local promotion, like, yo, I really want I really want to see this guy live. So like, like I'm 100 percent a professional wrestler, but I'm also hustling. You know, it just struck me when you were talking about that, that a lot of the champions that come on, Lars and I both know personally. We we know and we see how they interact with fans, and we kind of can talk to them on the side. You're one of these guys that this is our first time talking, our first interaction with you, so we don't really know too much about you. But what is your philosophy when it comes to sitting down with younger wrestlers, even though you are kind of a younger wrestler? And and with the fans, how you know, maybe who taught you how to interact or be gracious to the fans? Because I feel like that's that's taught in a lot of the wrestlers, champions. They forget about the fans as they move up and you know, up into different tax brackets. What's what's your your way with that? Um I was always the, like the wrestling fan that always wanted to like know like I mean I always wanted to know like what 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 was Triple H doing backstage what if he wasn't in the ring or whatever and stuff like that like I always wanted to know like those like pers not like personal life details like some people are now but just like like what are you doing and you're not wrestling um, and to kind of be in the to be in the position that I am as early as I am in that position. If a wrestling fan who's respectful comes to me or whatever, and they want to talk or they have questions, or I'm not gonna like turn them away, because like to me, the wrestling fans aren't just a transaction at the merch table or online. Like they're people, and I want to treat them like people. Um, and I feel like a lot of wrestlers 
when they get to a certain level, they forget that they're people. I mean, sometimes wrestling fans forget that wrestlers are people. But I think if you treat the wrestling fans with respect first, um, you'll have a much easier time than just, you know, oh, don't talk to me here or whatever, or don't message me, like, meet me at the merch table or something like that. And then when it comes to, like, younger wrestlers, I love to teach. Um, I love watching people's matches and, you know, giving them critiques here and there. Um, and I was always taught that, like, there are no facts in professional wrestling. It's essentially because, like, most of wrestling psychology, we kind of made up ourselves and it evolves and it changes um, over time. So, like, anytime I'm giving a young wrestler, uh, you know, a critique or something, I'm not telling them, oh, you have to do it like this. I'm more of the thought of, like, okay, would you do this in a fight that had, you know, ropes around you? No, because it doesn't make sense. But, you know, if my, I guess, psychology is like, can you, what can you do to get the most out of, you know, less? Um, and I feel like that's the mindset of a lot of like older wrestlers, like yeah. less is more, less is really, less is Cause really it more. is, it is. Um, like I've, I've kind of like, I've kind of pieced like some of the new school stuff and some of like mainly really the attitude era stuff, um, kind of together as far as that goes. Cause like attitude era, like the wrestling wasn't amazing by any, any stretch of the imagination, but their stories were told and characters were elevated to probably the highest level. Um, and like all the top stars had like four or five moves in their arsenal. And then everything else was really just storytelling. Um, and I feel like they made wrestling easy. And now like young guys and young people are trying to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Um, so I just try to like pass that to younger wrestlers and stuff. One, so they can save their body some. And then also, like, they can actually get over. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on that. So, you know, you were talking about kind of like the older wrestler, somebody who's been in the business maybe 20, 25 years and how it has a different learning curve and that you probably relate to them more than you relate to maybe the younger wrestler. That's kind of what I got mm -hmm. is that, that you're coming more from a place of, of, you know, tell the story, take your time. You know, don't you don't have to do fucking eighteen cartwheels into a fucking topa or whatever. Yeah. Suicide, you know, you know, you don't have to do all that. All that stuff has its place and can be cool, but yeah. it doesn't have to be every match on the fucking card, right? So, yeah, when you're approaching a match and you know, and you're talking with your opponent or whatever it is, and you guys are working it out, it has there ever been a point where you felt like, okay, this motherfucker's taking it way too far? And this is going to be a shit show. Oh, or... almost all the time. <laughs> almost all the time. Um, and so, what do you do? Well, okay. Well, then, then this would be the second part of my question. What do you do to try to curtail that? Um, so, um, Air Fox, who wrestles in AEW, he also yeah. trained me, um, and he would always say, like, never try, never butt heads with somebody. Just suggest a different way to still get to what they want to do. Um, because like sometimes, like sometimes super convoluted spots are cool or whatever. They can be cool depending on how they're done. But a lot of the times it just overcomplicates the match. 
Because, like, sometimes something sounds like a lot, but after you, like, go over it a few times, like, okay, that's easy or whatever. It kind of calms your nerves. And then other times it sounds like a lot because it is a lot. Um, so, like, <laughs> I'm not, like, I'll try to make suggestions here and there um, of, like, how like how we can, like, like make it more simple, but still be cool. But if, like, they're not budging on it, I'm just like, whatever. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be professional. I'm still gonna be there for you. Um, but uh this is stupid. I think what you do next time is just put that belt over your shoulder and be like, let me ask the belt. Hang on. <laughs> oh yeah, the belt doesn't want to do that. I'm actually gonna do that. That's hilarious. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Uh you know, MLW. You look at it in the grand scheme of the wrestling industry. It is, you know, I feel like MLW was kind of where Impact was 10 years ago, where everybody's like, Impact's going to die, Impact's dead, but yet they never go away. They always keep their head above the water, put out a great product, and and every year when someone says this is the last year we're going to see MLW or Impact, they just keep chugging along. How do you now, as the face of the company, say it's my job to elevate the company? This is how I'm going to do it. Um, definitely, like the locker room culture has always been cool at MLW, but like some, like in the last like six or seven months, it has it's been kind of like off. Um, and like as the face of the company, locker room leader type stuff, like I think. I think a great show starts in the locker room. Um, so like trying trying to foster that environment where like, you know, we can all talk to each other, we can all be cool or whatever, we all cheer each other on, give each other advice and stuff like that. I feel like that is going just having that kind of locker room culture is gonna take us to the next level. Cause if we're all if every single match from the bottom to the top of the card is on the same page of like, okay, we're here tonight, we're here to put on the best show possible tell the best stories you know get over all that other stuff if we are if we're all on one accord and you know all have the same mindset like i feel like the sky's the limit but if like everybody's like have everybody with, has their egos or whatever doesn't understand like like this is a business like you know your time your sometimes your time's up sometimes your time's not um but like if people don't understand, you know, that aspect of it or whatever, then yeah, we could definitely tank and destroy everything. So as the face of the company, like my biggest job is fostering a positive locker room culture. All right. For my last question, then, you know, one of the things I always see with champions, especially world champions, is they have a maturity level kind of already set. And if they don't, then they have to almost mature up to the point where over mature in a quick amount of time. Do you yeah. feel like since you've had the bell, albeit it hasn't been very long in the, in the, in the scheme of things, do you feel like that, the, that holding that belt being put in this position has made you more of a mature human being, a mature, a mature wrestler, a mature, a more mature uh, communicator, et cetera. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I and I feel like like everything, every opportunity that they put in front of me, kind of prepared me to be in this position. Um, and it's all it's spilled over into my personal life. It's spilled over into like regular work life stuff. 
um, it's I've I've noticed I've noticed how much I've grown, um, you know, since you know day one in the company and also day one in wrestling. Um, so yeah, definitely being a world champion has a uh, being a world champion and knowing that I was going to become world champion has definitely changed how I see things, changed my mindset. I am going to forgo my question, but add a suggestion. And I'm going to say, I hate when someone comes up to me and goes, I got a suggestion for you. And with that being said, I've got a suggestion for you. So great. Uh, I'm going to do the thing I hate. And it kind of goes back to talking to the belt. But if you start, you need to start. And I've never seen a, a, a champion ever do this. Lars, correct me if I'm wrong. But next time you're in the middle of a program and someone comes up to you and they're, you know, hey, what the mic and they're like, Johnny Fartface just uh, challenged you to a match. Put the belt over your shoulder and belt says he doesn't want to wrestle him tonight. Walk away like the belt says from <laughs> here on out. If you're not doing some sort of championship promo where eh, the belt says we're going for it tonight. That right there, I feel that like that is a great suggestion. I'm gonna that's a great use suggestion. That. I'm gonna use that. I think it, I think that's an amazing suggestion. And no, I don't think anybody's ever done that. I don't know. I, you know, I'm just throwing it out there right now. Uh Alex, where can people find you? Because I'm gonna tell you, uh absolutely a pleasure talking to you right now. Um, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok, both at Alex underscore Kane 11. You can find me on Instagram at Suplex Assassin. I advise you that if you're not a promoter, not to find me on Facebook, but it is what it is. Um, YouTube uh, is just out. You just type in Alex Kane, you'll find it. Um, um, where else? I think that's about it. Those are all the places where I uh, do social things. Lars, golden episodes. I love it when things get a little golden around here. And Alex, thank you for bringing the belt, setting a standard up here where fucking champions that come on the show better start bringing their belts. Because if you don't whip out the belt in the middle of a podcast, you don't represent a true champion. That's the way I feel. You don't Lars. represent a true champion. You don't represent a true company. Like you, you do, you're doing it wrong. You, you should be proud. You should be proud of being a, being a champion. Alex Kane, the standard setter. That's it. The standard setter. The standard the belt, setter. Alex Kane, the belt made me do it. The belt, the belt made, made me do, do it. it. Oh, my God. Listen, uh, everybody, this is this week's Wrestling Perspective. Thank you so much, Lars. Me, Dennis Farrell. New email address, wrestlingperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Get your questions in there. We'll start doing the questions again here soon. Alex Kane, MLW champion, thank you so much for cutting a few minutes out of your night to talk wrestling with us. Thank you for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.